This is Living Truth Podcast, where our purpose is to help you understand the Bible better, live its truth more completely, and experience your relationship with Jesus more deeply. I'm Tom Hine, and I'm your host and resource person in partnership with various guests who engage with us in dynamic conversation and stories from their own lives. Hello, everybody. This is Tom Hine with Living Truth, and uh, we're glad to have you join us again. Jake is also here, so say hello, Jake. Howdy. And what we're going to do today is we're going to have a discussion. I think we'll probably entitle this Discipleship, Disenculturation, and Deconstruction. And the reason why we are using those big words is we just got back from a conference. We were at the Evangelical Free Church District Conference on Monday and Tuesday, and Jake and I were at a workshop on these topics. And I came back with about 40 pages of PowerPoint notes. Mm -hmm. Greg Strand, who leads the workshop, was gracious enough to send the PowerPoint slides. And so got them all printed out yesterday. So we were fresh off of coming back from this. And so my goals are to help you to understand some of the terminology and the trends that are going on. And to explain this, there are, like I said, some big words that we're using and some new words. And so hopefully we can find some ways to explain these. Now, recognize we're just coming back from the workshop. And so I've got a lot of processing to do. I'm sure you do too, Jake. Absolutely. Yeah. And some of the terminology is new to me. What the workshop helped me to do was to categorize and understand some trends and some people that are have been in the news. And so that's a part of uh, what I hope will help us. And hopefully, second uh, goal is to help us to be able to interact with people struggling mm-hmm. with their own faith and just what it means how we live it out, a person who's looking at the Bible very critically or looking at Christian faith and having big doubts, or a person that has never really interacted with the gospel and has built-in doubts. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm more familiar with some of these terms, and I I think I want to offer that to the listeners as well. There's some of you that may have heard all of these before, and you're very much in that world um, but then there's some of us that I think are going to interact with these kind of these words or at least these ideas a lot more. Yeah. In, in so is this something like just in reading or in terms of current youth culture? For me, um, yeah. social media is where I've been encountering a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of that is because I do try and study culture. It's not right. just because I'm sitting around on social media, but um a couple of the people that he talks about are people that I listen to because I think they just, um, they are a good representative. I think of what the internet as a whole kind of thinks. Um, and it is largely turning against Christianity. And so it's interesting to see some, some familiar names there in terms of YouTubers or, um, influencers on either TikTok or Instagram. And yeah, that's where, where a lot of these conversations, I think, are, are happening. Right. 
Yeah. And probably a little bit generational in terms of somebody my age, a little older, doesn't quite interact with this as much. And we'll get into that because one of the things that Greg said was the questions and the issues of a past generation are different Mm -hmm. than this generation. Yeah, very much so. So Greg, in his opening description, I'll be reading some of the PowerPoints as well. And in his opening description, he says, um, how do we help others to disentangle or disenculturate while distinguishing from deconstruction without being threatened by the questions asked or doubts raised and proactively being committed to affirm the faith once for all and trust to the saints so that through this process, faith becomes one's own. And that's our hope for both ourselves and for people that we're discussing or kids in our families or youth or people we're interacting with, whether online, in person, wherever that takes place. Yeah. So he has a quote from a guy by the name of Carl Truman, uh, The Road to Bostic. I don't know what Bostic is, but uh, anyway... um, This quote is, the pressing pastoral need of the hour for the church is not to to explain the faith to the world, but rather first to explain the world to the faithful. And the point being that it is important and really helpful for us to understand what's going on in the world. Otherwise, we don't really connect or it's harder for us to have a message to communicate. I think one thing that was interesting is he started using the word uh, towards the end of pre-evangelism, uh, this idea of understanding where the world's at helps us to understand what we need to go to them with to help share the gospel. And sometimes there's work that needs to be done ahead of sharing the gospel so that we're able to to convey it well. And that was a really interesting idea to me. And yeah, I like in. that too. The analogy that comes to my mind is... How do we keep the door open mm, and looks- not slammed shut Absolutely. in our face? Yeah. And so that's really a part of what we're talking about. Um, then he has uh, some other quotes. David Wells is an author that I've read some. Now, actually, this particular quote is from a book from 1998, but it still is very relevant. Blew me away. I read the quote first and was like, oh yeah, that describes where we're at perfectly today. And I was like, oh, this quote was from nigh 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. So worldliness is that system of values in any, any given age, which has as its center our fallen human perspective. So fallen means sinful, Um, the situation that we find ourselves in, created in the image of God, but fallen. Then uh, to pick up the quote again, this system of values displaces God and his truth from the world and makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. It thus gives great plausibility to what is morally wrong and for that reason makes what is wrong seem normal. Is this spiritual reality that is pervasive in modernity and that has caused the evangelical world to stumble so badly? So what is it that especially struck you about this? I think that last line about it makes what is wrong seem normal or making sin look normal and make righteousness look strange. And I think that's, that's something I've noticed more and more of just... 
Christians seeking to live well are being increasingly seen as hateful and wrong. Not just, oh, I don't agree with you, but morally wrong. And that is just so backwards. And so this just helps me to kind of see that and name it and understand why it's happening. And so it was really helpful. A little depressing, but helpful as well. Yeah, I think to put it kind of crudely, um, the argument being from those who don't follow Christ, we are good, you are bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are lovers, you are haters. Yeah. Yeah. Any any boundaries, any truth means, yeah, that you must be a bigot, you must be just hurtful, you must be repressive, and there is no room for boundaries in this this modern world. Yeah, that just blows me away because, yeah. I mean, just, and I think probably for all of us, I think of myself as a loving person, an accepting person, mm-hmm. a person who tries to reach out and include others and talk to others and smile at others. Mm-hmm. But a couple of positions on issues and automatically categorized as something else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thrown into a... Yeah. And we call this, uh, or at least in some circles, call this cancel culture. What does cancel culture mean to you? I think just that that idea that it takes one bad action, one wrong thought, one wrong opinion in the kind of greater culture that goes against and yeah, you're kind of wiped off of social media. It's very interesting because there's nothing that's legally happening to you anyway, but it's also so much more powerful than that in that your influence is completely removed. You're in the court of public opinion. You may as well be, yeah, gone. You're unheard. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. is, it's amazing the power that social media has. It just holds so much power. Yeah, and I think sometimes because of my position as a pastor and, like I say, generationally, I can live in a bubble. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that, that can be the situation that any of us fall into. Yeah, well, and that's, that's, I mean, so much of this is, I feel like, related to social media, but that's part of what social media wants to do is it wants to keep you in a bubble. And I think that's part of what's kind of bred this is you get for all of us as we get in these bubbles of, okay, everyone on my social media thinks like me, everyone votes Mm, like me, everyone has the same foundational beliefs. And so we get isolated from one another and there's no more room for, for conversation. And I think the other side is just as guilty and we're just as guilty. And I, one, one thing I heard was like, if you went through your Facebook friends and how many of them voted the same way you did yeah, and just, seeing oh like we are the groups we spend time with online and the voices we listen to online tend to be voices that already confirm what we think and how interesting that is and and then what that does to someone who is in a in a bubble or a circle that doesn't right uh hear the things of christ yeah yeah online like on facebook i tend to hold back a lot Mm -hmm. of things yeah uh, but not, not everybody does, yeah. and so like 
people that go way back in my life or people that do come from a little different perspective sometimes will say things that I don't agree with, but it's not worth getting into an argument yeah. about. I yeah. might get into a sports argument <laughs> with people, but yeah. so many other things that really are deep issues, I, I just, that's not the place for yeah, it. That is not the place. Yeah. But yeah. to the point of what we're talking about, what it does help me to gain a perspective to understand mm-hmm. what's going on a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. And speaking from kind of the youth pastor perspective, it is so important from a parental side to understand those things, not because you need to, not because it's going to help you, but because you need to understand what your kids are consuming and what influences are out there. And if they have access to the internet, then there is a lot more out there that, I mean, we think of of the standard things of, oh, we got to watch out for pornography and violence, but like, what about protecting their, their hearts and minds and their, yeah, spiritual yeah, well-being. that's what's been on my mind the last two, three days, too, is young people from, well, probably maybe earlier than middle school, but middle school, high school, college age, they're just getting slammed mm-hmm. with all this all the time. Yeah. And as a parent, I don't think I was very well prepared to understand all this yeah. or interact with it. Yeah, it's so important, though. It's so, yeah, so parents... Grandparents, we, we need to get up to speed on this. So uh, scripture, a few scripture verses on this issue of the opposite being proclaimed as true. Isaiah 5.20, as Isaiah the prophet spoke to Israel, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so we do recognize that in the world that there is this trending of the exact opposite of what is true and right and good. But the tricky part is how how do we interact with people that are either being tempted by that or interacting with it or actually are proclaimers of the opposite. I've been uh, studying through the book of Jude, and if you would like to uh, go to a book of the Bible where it talks about some of these topics, Jude is a book mm. that speaks to how we re- interact and react to people from different perspectives from us. Mm. Appreciate that. Yeah. 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 So where did Greg go next after that? Um. Well, there's a few things that we're going to skip. One of the things he talked about, and I'm going to use some terminology again here and then try to explain it. He talks, and this is like in the academic world, they use the phrase imminent frame. And I'll give you the official uh, definition that he used and then try to explain it best as I can understand it. Mm-hmm. He says, imminent frame is a constructed social space that frames our lives entirely within a natural order rather than supernatural. It is the circumscribed space of the modern social imaginary that precludes transcendence. So my understanding of this is if a person does not follow God, does not believe in God, 
then all they have is the natural order, materialism. Mm. And so maybe think like um, a person that is stuck in a box, like they don't know if there's anything beyond the outside of the box. All they see, all they experience is within the box. And and the answers they have about life is going to be assumed to be fit within that box because exactly they can't hear anything beyond the box um nothing enters into the box whereas believers we know that god has come through the box Mm -hmm. in the form of jesus we also know that god has spoken from outside the box into the box and that it's not a closed frame or what he calls an imminent, imminent means near. Uh, it's not a closed frame or a um, closed system, but an open system. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was my understanding very much, but very much as a social thing in terms of how people talk about things and the assumptions that people go into conversations with is is from this, this is all that there is. Yeah, exactly. And, that, yeah. and that's where it's important to our conversation yeah. is recognizing how people psychologically, socially enter into conversation is they're only reflecting on what is in the here and now and what they can feel and touch and see. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it was um, some of these statistics he gave next that kind of reflect this idea of what it means to be in this eminent frame. I think these are beliefs held by Christians too. Or people claim the name of Christ that 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. Yeah, that was yeah. really surprising. Yeah. That's uh, which, yeah, statistically, that includes yeah. a good chunk of people who, yeah, claim Jesus believe that the highest goal in our life is just to enjoy yourself. Yeah, and the title of this, the book that that comes from, is Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme from yeah. 2017. And so that, yeah, that was a pretty impacting kind of quote. And uh, 91% affirm the statement, to find yourself, look within yourself. Yeah. You talk about that box again. Is that, that is the, the framework we live inside is what matters is here and now. It's the only thing that's here. I can't look outside this box for any answers. Yeah. It is such a, that was such an important idea. And then some of you may be familiar with what is called the Westminster Catechism. Maybe a preacher, pastor quoted it uh, before. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our calling of throughout Scripture. It talks about glorifying God. And then it says our ultimate end and aim is that aspect of heaven, um, the joy that we have in heaven. And so uh, the leadership, the workshop leader, Greg Strand, said this kind of thinking that uh, is imminent and that is closed turns this upside down. And instead would be the chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy himself forever. And that kind of thinking is pervasive. It was, it was such a, like, that was a, like, it hit me like a light bulb in that moment of thinking through even people who 
would claim the name of Christ or have claimed the name of Christ and no longer do it. Like their worldview is just so self-centered of what's going to make me happiest. Oh, this doesn't resonate with my authentic self. Yes. Kind of these ideas of everything is me focused. And it was such a light bulb of, Oh, that's how so many people live. And I, not that we don't do that as well, but we, we try and fight against it. Whereas for them, it kind of becomes the religion of me. And yeah, it was, that was eye opening. Yeah. Yeah. So workshop leader, Greg says the case could be made that self-worship is the world's fastest growing religion. Mm -hmm. Then he says, it's certainly the world's oldest Genesis Mm three. And we know Genesis three is the fall of man and Adam and Eve, uh, basically as they were tempted by Satan. And he's saying, did God really say this, that you cannot touch the fruit of this tree and of uh, good and evil. And they took it hook, line and sinker. And, we recognize that our temptation is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God has made us for himself, not just for ourselves. And so this is, yeah, this is the what we fight against every day as believers. The uh, final page in this section, then uh, Greg had some quotes as far as some of the sad kinds of things going on and relevant to some of what we've been talking about here in Adel, especially mm-hmm. as a community. And that is uh, the CDC reports a change in suicide rates, looking at some of the specifics. The second article that uh, I won't give you all the article. We can send it to you if you're interested. It points out sadness and suicide impacts teens in record levels, significantly teen girls. And the third article, teens who identify as LGBTQ. And so that's one of the outcomes from some of this self-orientation. More connected than ever, but lonelier than we've ever been. Mm. More depressed Mm. than we've ever been. Yeah, connected online, but struggles mm-hmm. personally for many, many, many. Yeah. That's the first section. The next section is Defeater Beliefs. And this was, again, this was some new language for me. And so Tim Keller, actually an author that I like to read quite a bit, but somehow I missed this book. He has a book called Deconstructing Defeater Beliefs and just describing what this is. Here's a quote from Tim Keller's book. Every culture hostile to Christianity holds to a set of common sense consensus beliefs that automatically makes Christianity seem implausible to people. These are what philosophers call defeater beliefs. A defeater belief is belief A that if true means belief B, can't be true. And so one way to think about this is from a missions perspective, which is part of what I identified with. If you go to a culture where Islam, for example, is the reigning religion within that cultural group, that within that people group, then to bring up Jesus and the Bible is automatically just a shutdown mm-hmm. kind of um, 
interaction for many people because there's beliefs about who Jesus is and who he is exactly yeah yeah, who God is and who God isn't and yeah and that means that that's just a no-go right exactly nothing else will be considered Mm -hmm. because of course the Trinity is God the Father Jesus the Son and Mary um, according to many Mm. who come from uh, an Islamic perspective interesting I did not know (laughs) yeah yeah that's one of the kinds of issues and of course Jesus was only a prophet mm. and so he can never be God's son of course the Bible is corrupted and so the, the point uh, for our sake is that um, a culture that has um, canceling defeater kinds of beliefs just automatically shuts out valid conversation mm-hmm. yeah and this is this is kind of one of the biggest, I don't know, concerns, fears, worries about kind of American ceasing to be culturally Christian is that there there becomes elements where it is harder to evangelize because it's just much more closed off. There's some of these beliefs that are opposed to Christianity naturally that you have to kind of fight before you can even have the conversation yeah exactly Jesus, and right? i think the tendency for us is to get very nervous about that mm-hmm. or very feel very defeated and trying to figure out creative ways to interact with people is a challenge mm-hmm. sometimes humor can be a way to do that yeah. sometimes again like i say not getting so nervous that we come on so strong that we scare a person away yeah. can be helpful, but really just remaining calm and interactive, asking questions yeah. are really important. I think sometimes we can feel the weight of all of this. And so mm. we have a conversation with one person. Yeah. Like we're having a conversation with like all of that generation, all of society. And yeah. No, just have the conversation with that one person. Yeah. See what you yeah, can do point. to influence that one person. and share truth with one person instead of trying to make this grand statement that is going to fight off all of secularism. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be kind of nerve-wracking. And, yeah, the whole world doesn't depend on us. It's important yeah. for us Amen. to be faithful. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks for joining us for part one of this two-part series. Check back next week to hear more about what these defeater beliefs are and what we can do to be a light to share Jesus in this world.